Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. So we're kicking off a brand new series today called People of God. And so uh, I want to encourage you, as I always do, but especially during this series, bring your Bible, get the Version app. I want you to be able to study along through this and make some notes and kind of see for yourself because we're gonna unpack some sort of difficult things uh, over the next few weeks as we walk through this series. But I want you to see the Word of God for yourself. And so uh, if you're uh, kind of not used to doing that, I just wanna encourage you to do that. You can take your phone, grab Version, follow right along. I'm gonna be reading in this series from the New Living Translation, NLT, if you see that in there, so that you can follow along because it's really important that you don't just take... Joe's word for what's going on here, but did you see God's word for yourself? And so um, a story that's been passed around for years now, and it's not my story, uh, although every time I see it, I kind of laugh inside, but um, there was a pastor that was camping somewhere up on the Appalachian Trail and uh, kind of a long time, a sabbatical with God all by himself. And I actually had a lot of pastor friends who've done this over the years, uh, all by themselves, go up and be on the AT for you know days at a time just with the Lord. And so uh, early one morning, this pastor woke up to the sound of something rummaging through his stuff outside. And when he opened the tent, it was a massive grizzly bear that was out there. Well, when the grizzly bear sees the pastor stick his head out, he decides, hey, there's my meal instead of what's over here. So he takes off running after the pastor. Well, the pastor takes off up through the hills. And as he's going, as he's running up the hill, he goes, dear Lord, will you just make this bear a Christian? And so at that point, the bear drops to his knees and says, dear Lord, uh, thank you for the meal that I'm about to receive. Thank you for providing blessing to nurse my body in Jesus' name, amen. And then the guy was never heard from again. Every time I see that story, I laugh. And the reason is like, just saying that I'm a Christian, it means different things to different people. It means different things to different churches in different areas of the world. Now, ultimately, we all know that it's Jesus. I mean, everybody probably Christian Jesus, we get it. But the practical reality of that, you know, I think the guy's probably praying, Jesus, make him like a nonviolent vegetarian. That's probably what he meant. But in reality, you know, the guy just stopped and the bear stops and thanks the Lord for the food. The moral of the story, the word or identity Christian brings different things to mind for different people. And so this series is an attempt to give some common language, but even deeper than that, common understanding of what it means for you and I to join with people across our world who've called on the name of Jesus and say, we are the people of God. What does that mean? And so across our city and county, there is no clear understanding of who Christians are anymore. If you grew up in my generation, meaning you went to school in the 80s and 90s, there was still a lot of Christian memory in our society, meaning like even if people weren't churched, they had probably been to a vacation Bible school along the way. So they heard the story of Jesus. They knew a little bit about the Bible. And honestly, there was a sort of a common respect for church or pastors or Jesus We live in a day now where that's not necessarily the case and we're not gonna stick our head in the sand and pretend that everybody just knows who Jesus is. Everybody just knows what church is all about. Everybody knows who the people of God. We can't assume that anymore. And with a generation that's coming behind, you know one of our core values is we want to reach and empower the next generation of Jesus followers and leaders. 
That's why we pour in through River Kids every week in our student ministry, and we're gonna do more as we go into the future. But right now, there's no clear understanding, and so if we are not clear on it, then how can we ever expect people that we bump into on a daily basis to be clear on what it means to be a person of God, a man of God, a woman of God, so this series is about digging, kind of digging scripturally down to the core of who the people of God are and allowing that identity to guide us. Here's what I'll say. A lot of what uh, we're gonna look at is more teaching and you're gonna go, yeah, I kind of already knew that. God just kind of sh- kept speaking to my heart though. My people need to be reminded who they are. We must know who we are if we're gonna live out this identity. And you know why? Our identity in God, in Christ, people of God, It is what will help us navigate cultural and political tensions. It's not having the exact right answer, the exact right candidate or exact right stance. That's that's not what's gonna help us navigate. What's gonna help us, the core of what will help us navigate all the tensions, and they're not over by the way, it is knowing who we are, knowing who God has called us to be. If we're gonna navigate sexual identity and racial tensions that exist, not just somewhere off in Washington, D.C., but in the streets of our city, if we're gonna navigate that well as representatives of Jesus, we're gonna have to know who we are first. Also, there's so many things that have divided our nation, our state, our county, our city. We have to know who we are as people of God if we wanna remain unified on mission. And so I wanna start with a statement this morning. And it's kind of guiding our rest of our time together today. And here it is. I am blank. And so our culture is a lot about your bio. How cool can you be in your bio in 280 characters or less? How much can you tell us about you? Who are you? What do you do? What are you about? What's your sports team? And so you walk through bio. So I am is actually a really, really important statement. Every social media platform out there, there is a bio link. And what they're saying is, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. And so if you were to have to introduce yourself to someone right now to turn to your neighbor and say, hello, my name is Joe and I am. And you just had to fill in that blank. There's a lot of things you could put in that blank. First, you could say, I'm a Georgia fan, which which are definitely uh, God know Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, right, Steve? Now, Bama fans, I mean, I'm not saying you can't go to heaven. I'm just saying... Clemson, Auburn Tech fans, and I don't know, Chris, one of our elders, I I really don't know, man, Tech, you know. Here's the thing, it's a lot of fun to poke around, but whenever you say, I am a fan, you know what you automatically do? You automatically join with some people and you automatically set yourself at odds with others. Some of you are mad right now because I said, Georgia fans are going to heaven. I can't believe that, I'm never going back to that church. I like Tech, I'm like, what's wrong with you, man? But it automatically, we fill in the blank like that, it automatically sets us kind of at odds with other people and it lets us know where our people are, right? I am bios, they do that. Or you could go like, uh, you could go local. So you could say, I'm a Gainesville High School fan. I'm Red Elephants, I'm a North Hall, I'm a Trojans fan. I'm a Lumpkin or I'm Johnson or West Hall or no, I'm Lanier or I'm Lakeview. And so uh, you can fill in something on the backside of that and locally it lets you know. Probably has to do with where your kids went to school or where you went to school locally. Or you could fill in like a social group name, like I am a biker. And there's some of y'all out there, like if they're a biker, you know you're a biker and you let everybody know it. Like you just have a way about you, right? I am a biker or I'm a crossfitter and they let you know too. You don't have to wonder, oh, hey, that's CrossFit, here it comes. Or the boot campers, listen, for you recent boot campers, and my wife is one of those, I hear about boot camp every day. You know it, like, my name is Courtney, and I am a boot camper, baby, right here. 
And so there's these identifying factors of like uh, family names, like mom or dad. I'm a mom. Hello. And you see this in the Bible. My name is so-and-so and I am a mom or I'm a grandparent or I could say, you know, my last name's Peyton. I'm a Peyton. And so these are all natural I am statements and they don't really cause a lot of grief by stating the fact. Maybe your sports team, but at the end of the day, we go, listen, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not really that divisive. But did you know that there are some I am statements that have completely divided our culture? Let me give you some of them. Here's one, I'm a Democrat. If you fill in that blank right there, people automatically in their mindsets make assumptions about you. If you say, I'm a Republican, or if you say, I'm a conservative, or I'm a liberal, automatically, even inside the church of Jesus Christ, there have been divisions that do not honor our Lord and Savior based on the fact of where we stand. Or I'm, you know, what about get deeper? I'm pro-life or pro-choice. I'm pro-immigrant or pro-wall. I'm straight, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm trans. And here's the thing, all those could be identifying factors about you. But the question is, is there a greater identity that supersedes them all? Because see, that's really the question. I can't tell you who you are, but if you're a follower of Jesus, then you give the Bible permission to tell you who you are. You give the Holy Spirit of God permission to tell you who you are. That's what this series is about. It doesn't take away other identities in your life, but I wanna argue that as a follower of Jesus Christ, anything you could put in that blank, there is a greater identity that tells you who you are. It actually, to me, is a simple answer to a very complicated question. How do I experience transformation in my life? No matter what my identity is now or what it's been in the past, well, here's the answer. People of God, child of God. And see, people are having to navigate this. I am statements that create tensions. We have to learn how to navigate it. And so this series is a candid and honest look but I wanna give you the big idea that's gonna guide our next four or five weeks, and here it is. I'll put this in your notes if you wanna take notes there. People of God is the greater identity. The one that's bigger, any other I am you just put in there. I'm not even saying it's not true about you, but I'm just saying the unifying factor that changes our life, that, change, that will change our city as God will use us as ambassadors unified, it's because we have people of God as our greater identity. What does that identity do? It empowers us to navigate the brokenness of our world with both grace and truth. And so the greater identity is to say this, I am a man of God. And I wanna remove a stigma for a moment because growing up, man of God usually meant you were a pastor. You're a, you're a church, you know, church leader. And I respect that, and, and I don't disagree with that. Any man that stands in a pulpit or any man that has leadership should be a man of God. Or you can say the same thing about a woman. Any woman that has a call of God on her life and is representative and leading, she should represent uh, being a woman of God. But I wanna remove the stigma a little bit. Did you know that you are, if you are a person of God yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, men, you should be able to say, I'm a man of God. That's not just set aside title for your pastor. Like think about that over your life every day. I'm a man of God. Ladies, let me tell you this. It's not just that leader or that person that you respect that's a prayer warrior in your life. For every woman in the room, if you, if you would say, Joe, I do follow Jesus, you also should be able to say this about your life. I am a woman of God. 
Part of this series is about reminding us who we are. Sometimes we want it to be somebody else. Like, God, just choose somebody else to be this. But we have to let our, remind ourselves that, that we are it. And so what does that identity do? We ultimately know that in Christ means we're gonna get heaven forever one day. But what about right now? Well, here's what that identity does. It helps us navigate the brokenness. You know where the brokenness of our world is? It's both inside us and it's around us in the world. And then it says that we navigate it with grace and truth. And here's what Jesus, uh, John said about Jesus. He says, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love. And another way to say that is grace and faithfulness. Another way to say that, truth. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so it says this, he was full of both, not 50-50, but Jesus navigated his broken world. If you read the first century account when Jesus lived, what you will find is he came into a world that was just as broken as our world today. And somehow he navigated the brokenness. But you know how he did it? Grace and truth. He knew who he was and he lived it out. He navigated it with both grace and truth. And so this is gonna guide our time together, this statement. We're gonna scripturally unpack it. And so I wanna start with some really elementary, almost like fundamentals, back to the fundamentals of our faith in, in a way. And I wanna simplify it and put some language around it. The question is, who are the people of God? Who are the people of God? If, you were, to, if I were to ask you right now, you know, Jeff, who are the people of God? Come up here and tell me. He'd run out the door. He's like, nope, not doing it. Or I always say, Courtney, come on up here. You know, you hear me write the message and she'd go, nope, I'm out too. Uh, but she could answer it. Now, if I asked Preston, he'd probably go, yeah, give me the mic. Give me about 30 minutes. I'll tell you the people of God are. Uh, but, uh, you know, if somebody asked you though, hey man, who are the people, Ray, who are the people of God? Like, what would your answer be? And I, listen, I know Ray, he would lay down a great, deep theological answer and you go, wow, because that's what he does in small group. But it's, it's crazy sometimes. You ever have people that ask you a question and you know the answer, but you just can't verbalize it? Like, you, you know what you should, you, I know what I'm trying to say here, but I, that's what I wanna do. I wanna take us back and kind of bring some resolve to this. Let me show you what Paul says. Here's what he says, and this is Galatians. Uh, a lot of the book is about what it means to not be uh, somebody who's under the old law, but instead somebody who lives as a child of God, a person who doesn't have to have Jewish ancestry to be saved, to be a follower of God. Actually, anyone can come. Uh, Paul spends a lot of times writing to this church in Galatia about how they can be the true people of God. And here's what he says. You are all children, and another way to think of that, you are all people of God, How? through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the most foundational statement of our faith. How do we become people of God? We're not born into it. We don't happen upon it. Our family bloodline doesn't equal that we're gonna be people of God. What makes us people of God is this, that we have faith in Christ Jesus. And there's what he says, all who have been united with Christ in baptism. Now, baptism represents two things in scripture. One, is the physical, we put a horse trough up here and people say, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to let everybody know it. And then we baptize them and it's symbolic. It's obedience, it's symbolic. It says, Jesus, I'm ready to die to myself and live to you. The other thing that baptism represents is the filling of the Holy Spirit, that God comes to live inside of you. So water outside, Holy Spirit fills inside. And so that's representative. We've been united in baptism. We have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. You know what he's saying? We put on a greater identity than anyone we had before. 
Any idea that you've had in the past, any desire, any feeling, any experience you've had, what you have to say is if I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to say that I'm gonna put on something greater, a greater identity, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Now, here's the thing about this. He's not saying that those qualities in our life or those identifying factors, they don't disappear, but they do get swallowed up by this greater identity. I'm a child of God. I'm a person of God. And so he says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so now that you belong to Christ, and so again, how do you become people of God? You belong to Christ. You have faith in Christ. You are the true children of Abraham. You are heirs in God, to God's promise and Abra, uh, Abraham's belongs to you. And so what was the promise of Abraham? It was that you will be with the Lord forever. If you boil it down, God said, I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna have descendants as much as the sand on the seashore. And not only would they be Jewish descendants, they will be anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Fast forward to the New Testament times. And then ultimately he said, I'm gonna give you a land and, and Messiah is gonna rule over it forever and you're gonna get to live in it. So the promise that you'll be with God forever. Now here's what Paul says a little bit later in that same little letter he wrote. He says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. Another way to say that, my identity and all I got derived from this world, I put that to death in my life. Why? Because of the cross of Jesus. The world's interest in me has also died, he says. And so he says, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Now, again, here it is. He says, it's not about your church attendance or the denominational line you come from. If you grew up around church, there's a good chance your family was attached to, you know, Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal, and you have that in your history. Nowhere in scripture does it say you have to be those things to be part of the people of God. Now, again, you can be a part of one of those denominations and be a child of God, but inherently, just because you have a church name that you've come from, that doesn't mean you're Christian. That means you're part of the people of God. What he says is, what counts is whether you've been transformed into a new creation. How does that happen? Surrender to Jesus Christ. There are people across our world of all denominations, all backgrounds who read from different Bible translations, who worship very differently, and sometimes even who have a little bit of different doctrine, things that we go, that's a little weird. But if you boil down to it, they say Jesus Christ is the only way. We believe him. He's the way, the truth, and life. Our lives are surrendered to him. We believe that, uh, that his way is the only way. And if we say that, listen, what that means is there are people of God from all over the place that have been transformed into new creation. And then here's what Paul said, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God, those who have been transformed. And so let me answer the question with a few statements here. Who are the people of God? Now, again, really, really simple. None of these are like, man, I've never heard that before. That's so new. But sometimes you got to go back to the basics to remind yourself who you are. Here, here's the first one. We are Jesus people. And the reason I point this out is you think reading the Bible that people wouldn't have a hard time saying it's all about Jesus. But I've learned in our culture that people are a little bit scared of this name. This is a dividing name. Because you can say, I love God. You can say, you know what? My heart belongs to God. I'm a follower of God. But as soon as you bring Jesus in, in our day, it's the dividing name. And Jesus actually warned us. It's gonna be divisive. When you say you're a follower of Jesus, 
Some are gonna hate you and some are gonna love you. You're gonna be persecuted for that name and you're gonna be blessed if you are persecuted for that name. But we have to say we're Jesus people. We talk a lot about Jesus. We keep a lot of our central focus on Jesus. We teach a lot from the word about the life of Jesus and what Jesus taught us. And the reason is that's who the people of God are, Jesus people. By faith, we believe. We believe we've been forgiven and transformed. And then, you know, Jesus people actually follow Jesus. When you look at their life, you may not see perfection, but you can see that somebody is following in his footsteps, trying to live according. Here's another thing that we are as people of God, church people. I, I studied the Bible uh, when God was calling me to ministry. I was already just had this hunger for the word. And so I start reading God's word and I start studying it. And you know what I found? If you read the New Testament of your Bible, every single passage that is written is written to a we, not an I. It's written to community of people. And so I get it. It's really my generation, my peers, who had bad experiences in church or had a poor example of what a Christian was in their life, maybe a dad, mom, or another person. And so what they said is, you know what? I don't mind Jesus, but I'll just be Jesus on the lake on Sunday, or I'll just, you know, who cares about the church? Now, you know me, we're not a guilt church. Like, you need to take vacation, enjoy your family. There's times where you gotta be away. You can't physically be sitting in the room. But here's what I would say. If you are a person of God, church has some place in your life, a priority place. You know why? Because that's the bride of Jesus Christ. He said whenever you're saved into, you're saved into a brand new family. You're reborn into a new family. And so the reason we still do this today, after 2,000 years, why do we still gather on Sunday morning? And we gather on Friday and Saturday and Wednesday and other times too. God never said you can only gather on one day. But do you know why we still do this? It's because it was actually expected by Jesus. Like he knew we need each other. In fact, there's probably stories in the room when you get isolated from the church and people that love you are gonna pick you up when you're down and you know, knock you around a little bit when you need it, when you get prideful. Somebody that's gonna really love you and be in your life. As soon as you give that up, what happens is you get isolated and picked off. And so Paul said this, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Not that those identities don't matter anymore at all, but the church of Jesus is actually one of the biggest things about you. I'm a part of the church. And when I say church, let me clarify this. There are people across our city that are a part of the big C church. We are a Riverbend church. I'm proud of that. I love my church. But I am for every other church in our community that preaches Jesus. I love the pastors there. I love the people there. And in fact, anything they need, if we can give it, we say yes. We say absolutely yes. How can we support? How can we link arms with other people who love Jesus? I am for every pastor, every church, every church member preaching Jesus. Why? Because that's part of our family. Ultimately, you're gonna meet other people who say they follow Jesus and they go to a different body. We're on the same team, guys. Some of you treat it like Georgia and Alabama fans. You know, you're like, we hate you. You got a different church name on your building. Listen, you, God just may seat you right beside them in heaven, and I hope he does. He's gonna put you beside somebody from the Methodist church when you get to heaven. It's gonna be bad. You're like, God, why do I have to sit here, right? But here's the thing. What, what would happen if we really believed that as people of God, we were church people, that we could be for anybody who, who was part of the church and just say, more power to you. How can we help? How can we love? How can we support Tell you a secret, it's not our church anyway. I'm not saying I don't love it. I'm not saying I don't love, I'm not saying I'm not all in for it. Listen, I love Riverbend Church. This is my family. 
But I also have family down at Chestnut Mountain. Brian Hall is one of my great friends. I pray for him. I meet with him often and God's doing a great work down there. This week, I got to meet with, uh, with Pastor Brian over at New Holland. We sat down and we had breakfast and just had an amazing time talking about what God's doing in the church. And so I thought, you know what? Sometimes we build these walls up around ourselves and we say, we can't, we can't, we gotta be us and them. It's not that way. You should believe in a local body where God has called you, but also you got to acknowledge that we're part of the Big C Church. Now, here's the third thing that we are as people of God. We are kingdom people. And what I mean by that is Jesus taught a lot about this reality. The moment you become a child of God, you don't live for the world anymore. The moment you become a child of God, you don't live for the world. You actually live as a citizen of heaven, but you're still living in the earth right now. Now that's where we're actually going in this series. Our identity is we live as though we are in heaven while we are on earth in the brokenness. We live underneath the reign and rule of a different king. We live underneath the reign and rule of a different spirit inside of us, not our own self, not the enemy. And so we live for his kingdom now while we're still on earth. And Jesus talked about that a lot. Now here's two more things. One is this, we are hope people. If you've been around Riverbend, you do know that maybe this is one of the things that sets us apart a little bit. And it, it, it probably is my fault because uh, as, a, as a kid, sometimes I would go to revivals and go places. And by the end of the church service, you just felt like that you had been beat up. I mean, it's like somebody just jacking your jaw the whole time. Now, sometimes I needed that. So I just own it. I was a sinner and, you know, I wrestled a lot. And so I probably needed it. But it was like every invitation was basically like everybody's lost. You need to get saved or you need to get right and stop sinning. And so for me, sometimes I had a hard time seeing the hope in the message. Here's a, here's a secret. God's word's gonna beat you up. I'm not gonna apologize for that. Sometimes you're gonna read God's word and you're gonna go, ooh, that hurts, man. I know I'm not living that way. God, I don't like you. And you sometimes can take it out on me. And that's okay, because I'm your pastor and I love you. And you go, I just don't like what you said. That's why I'm telling you, go to scripture. We're gonna unpack a lot of this scripturally as we go, but I'm a person of hope and we're a church of hope. And here's why. People already know they're in a mess. We are here in this world to be ambassadors, reconcilers, ambassadors of hope, to tell people, hey, you matter. And there is a way, there's a way to peace. There's a way to new life and his name is Jesus. You know what hope people believe? And listen, y'all are crazy enough to believe this with me. Our best days are ahead. You look around our world sometimes and you go, holy cow, what's going on, God? Are you shutting the whole thing down right now? You see all the pain and you, you watch your news feed and you're like, Lord, what's going on? But then inside, because we have the spirit of God and we're the people of God, you go, but Lord, we know that you promise you're gonna build your church and hell can't stop it. We know that even when the end comes, you're gonna take us to be, our best days are always ahead. We know you're gonna keep true to your promise. Here's the last one. And this one's very unique to us, I think. We are you matter people. We are you matter people, and, and I won't go into a lot of detail on this. We've talked a lot about it, but God loved us so much, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, you matter to me so much, just like you are. In your mess, you matter to me. And so on the flip side, we look at people and go, hey, just like you are, you matter to me. We want you to feel that. Actually, we work so hard throughout the week and in our parking lot and in the building and going back out that people may know, you know what? I really felt somebody made me feel like I matter today. And you guys do that on a regular basis. We treat people the same way as his ambassadors that God said we mattered so much, just like we are. So in turn, we tell people. And so let me ask another question now. 
You could say that there's a hundred more things you could put under who are the people of God. Those are the ones I chose to share. How do you become part of the people of God? See, many of those other I am statements, you could say, you know, I was born that way or I was raised to be that way or I've been through a lot in my life and that's why I am who I am. And I'm not arguing there. But the uh, reality of God is this greater identity. No one is actually born into the kingdom of God through natural birth. Jesus talked about this. Every one of us are born and because we're born into a broken world, into a sinful people, guess what? We're born right into that sin nature. You don't have to teach a little kid to like talk back. You don't have to teach them to pitch a fit. Guess what? It is in there. It is just nature. Now, all of them are not as bad as I was when I was a kid. I was one of the kids. My mom said, I hope you have kids just like you. Anybody like that in the room? Hope they're just like you. Some of the I am statements though, you could say I was raised that way or just am who I am, but no one is born into the people of God. You actually have to be reborn into the people of God. But how does that happen? Let me give you a really simple process. Again, fundamentals. Here it is. Repent. You know this word repent means? At some point in time, you change your mind about what you've thought about your life, about God, about scripture, about Jesus. You change your mind about it because none of us really are born with this strong desire, just like, God, I wanna surrender everything to you. We wanna fight for our own rights. And so repentance means coming to the end of your way, whether it's rock bottom, whether it's a loss in your life, or whether it's just a moment where you experience God in a, in a worship service or, or wherever you may be, you saw him in creation, and all of a sudden you felt something drawing you. You've been going your own way, and you felt almost drawn to spin on your feet and turn and look at God. And you realize he's not nearly as far away from you as you thought. And so that's repentance. Well, when you turn to God, a lot of people feel really bad about what they've done. But do you know what for true repentance you actually have to have? It's the second piece, and that's belief to believe in him. And, and here's still the crazy thing to me about how God has worked for all these years. He came and he died on a cross. He lived a sinless life. He died on a criminal's cross. He was put into a tomb and then he got up out of the grave. And the Bible says, if you will believe in him, you'll believe that crazy story that you will be saved. You'll believe in that one who did that for you. You'll be saved. Belief is not as hard as we make it out to be. But putting our faith in that story is how we become people of God. Now, here's the last part. It's actually receive. So repent, believe, receive. That's how we become people of God. And what do we receive? We receive the Holy Spirit to live within us. We receive that seal over our lives. Here's what Jesus said. Let me show you Jesus' very first message. As soon as he opened his mouth and started to preach, he didn't teach first. He started preaching this message. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and belief. And later we know he would say the spirit's going to be poured out and you will receive. Repent, believe, receive. And so the rest of our series and, and a little bit of time we have today is going to be spent on uh, how do we live as people of God? Because that's really the last question here. Okay, Joe, so you told me who we are. You told me how we get there. But now how do we actually live that out? Because isn't that the tension in our world? We're gonna spend the rest of our time in this. And the short answer is this, live like Jesus. Ask the question, what would Jesus do? But do you know the most in-depth instruction in all of your Bible is in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And I'd encourage you to write that down this week. Make that part of your devotional reading. It's, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we call it. 
But you know what I've come to understand that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is in your Bible? It's actually Jesus saying, here's how the people of God should live. You look through it, and it's completely opposite of everything that's intuitive in our life. Everything that makes sense, it's like God turns it on its, uh, on its head and says, no, here's actually how I want you to live. And so our series is really only gonna focus on the first few verses of it. Because in the first few verses, it's this famous passage. You know what it's called? Beatitudes. Easy way to remember what that means, how your attitudes be. How your attitudes should be. Beatitudes, how your attitudes be. That's how you have to think about it. And so the attitude impacts or it flows from your identity. If I'm a person of God, then I'm gonna have the attitudes that flow from that. And you matter actually is, we say it's an attitude, an attitude that inspires us to action, that instills uh, value and purpose in another person's life. And so these be attitudes are identifying factors. And so let me pick up right here and show you a couple of them this morning. One day, Jesus saw the crowds gathering. He says, Jesus went up onto the mountainside and sat down. And that's actually how, uh, how in that day, uh, famous rabbis wouldn't stand and everyone else sit. Uh, the rabbi would sit and everyone else would stand to listen. So I'm thinking about next week having you guys stand while I sit. No, just kidding. But that's, that's how it happened in, in the olden days. And so Jesus went up on the mountain. Why? Practically so his voice would project. And he had a crowd of people that said, the disciples gathered around him. Now, this is not talking about just the 12 disciples. It's talking about uh, many that had followed him at that point. They all gather as close as they can. And he began to teach them. Now, here's what he said. We're only gonna look at the first two today, but here's what he said. The first thing out of Jesus's mouth when he started preaching this big message, God blesses, amen to that. Now, everybody likes that part. Woo, God blesses, man, come on, I'm in church. God bless me, but look what he says. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Another way to think about this, God blesses those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are they who are poor in spirit. And Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he says this, God blesses. So the first people maybe go, well, that was weird, Jesus. Poor people are blessed. (laughs) Okay, maybe the next one's for me. God blesses those who mourn. This is so counterintuitive to everything we feel about the gospel and our identity, isn't it? Poor people are blessed. Broken mourners, they're blessed. Everybody that's listening is turning the head at Jesus right here. They're going, I mean, they literally have this face. Like, What? What are you saying to me right now, Jesus? God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, this is the first first two of eight sort of identity attitudes here. Do you know what blessed means in this context? Blessed means that you have a source of joy that cannot be extinguished by circumstance. You have joy within you that cannot be extinguished. You have happiness in every circumstance. That is the blessing of God. And so I want to unpack what these two identity statements mean. As the people of God, here's who we are. Here's how we enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he says. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. And you know what word came to my mind? I started a study through these uh, several weeks ago and I thought it was just for me. And I was writing it down in my journal in the mornings on these beatitudes because I was like, God, I need to that needs to be my attitude, and some days it's not. And so, Lord, will you help me? And so I, I'm a simple-minded person. So I said, God, if this is really my identity, I'm gonna need to boil this down to one word so I can remember. You know what the word was for this first one? God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. God just kind of spoke to me and said, Joe, that's beggar. 
a beggar, the one who is a beggar, realize their need for him, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know what a beggar knows? A beggar knows that they're needy, that he or she is needy. You know what else? Uh, you can learn a lot from a person that has to stand on a roadside or ask for money somewhere. Because I get it. There are panhandlers and some people make a living doing it. And there's some people that just live that way. But do you, do you also understand that in order to do that, you have to lay down a lot of your dignity and a lot of your pride in order to do that? I mean, I think we've become so, so judgmental in our world that we overlook the fact that somebody just like you and me has fallen on hard times. It could be their own fault. It could be addiction or something could have happened to them and you just don't know their story. But we've been so taught to judge people who stand there with a sign. And you know what Jesus looked at his people and said? Those are the people that are gonna get to heaven. I don't like that identifying statement. I'll be honest with you. I wish Jesus had said, those that are middle class and doing well in life, blessed are they. Those that have everything they need and a good family, blessed are they. But Jesus went here. He says that actually blessing begins with begging, becoming a beggar. So let me give you this identity. I put this in your notes. Do you know what we have to literally, if we wanna enter the kingdom of heaven, if we wanna be a child of God, we had to start with this, I'm a beggar. What does that mean, Joe? Acknowledge that I can't save myself, that I need Jesus, and that I'm at his mercy. And then here's what Jesus said at the end, only beggars can enter the kingdom of heaven. Only beggars enter the kingdom of heaven. So acknowledge I can't save myself, I need Jesus, and I'm at his mercy. Think about the test that God's put you in sometimes. He's put you in a place where other people are at times at your mercy, like to give. Your kids are some of those people in your life. But sometimes you run into somebody with a need. Maybe it's a family in your neighborhood. Maybe it is the person standing at the stop sign. But you know what I'll tell you? As a person of God, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, he'll guide you as to what you should do and how you should respond. We're all at the Lord's mercy, and here's what Jesus is saying. Only beggars can enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who realize their need for heaven. Can I tell you this? It is impossible for anyone to come to Jesus in pride and receive salvation. That's what Jesus was saying. You have to realize that you are morally bankrupt, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And at that moment, you finally get yourself in a place to go, God, I need you. Jesus talked a little further about this. He's, he said this, healthy people don't need a doctor, but who does? Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. In other words, those who know that they are morally bankrupt and can't get to heaven on their own. Those are the ones that I've come to call. Not the ones who are banking on church attendance or, or this one thing that happened when they were 13 years old or nine years old, way back in their past. They're not banking on that. What they're banking on is the fact that, Jesus, I need you right now. Lord, I'm a beggar. I can't do anything to save myself until you come to that reality. And Jesus said, that's actually an identifying factor of my people. They have become beggars. But here's the crazy thing. Beggars become royalty. It's not those that work for it. Beggars become royalty in the kingdom of heaven. So you know what keeps people from Jesus so many times? The humiliation of admitting the need. And then here's the second one Jesus said, attitudes be. The first one is beggar. Lord, I have the attitude of a beggar. 
And as I beg you for salvation, you say, yes, I'll give it to you. And in that moment, I become a person of God. Here's the second one. God blesses those who mourn, mourners, broken people, for they will be comforted. And that was literally my word that God gave me when I was reading this. He goes, broken people are blessed. Now, this word mourn literally means like someone who has lost a loved one, a deep brokenness. And that's actually the idea here, deep pain and loss. But you know what the deeper spiritual meaning is? A person who is broken and mourning over sin in their life or what it's done to them on the inside and over also what it's done to the world around them, to our families, to our city. As people of God, do you know what we should, we should bring our hearts back to? When we look and we see brokenness, we should mourn for it. There was this passage, I didn't put the scripture here, but Jesus one time, it says he went up on a hill and he looked out over Jerusalem, basically his city, the city of the people of God, the capital city. And as he looked out over it, he began to weep. You know what that was all about? He saw what sin had done to his people that he loved and he hated it. He hated the brokenness. He hated the loss and the tragedy and the sickness and he began to mourn. He was broken over it. And so here's what Jesus was saying. Those who mourn will be comforted. So let me give you the statement that goes with this. I am broken. And here's what that means. That I have godly sorrow over my own sin and over the pain sin is causing in others' lives. And then here's what Jesus kind of promised there, that the broken find healing, the broken find comfort. See, grief actually allows us to know God in a special way, no matter what kind of grief we're going through. As Paul said, you can actually fellowship with the Lord's sufferings whenever you're hurting and you're broken. But out of deep sorrow and brokenness come powerful people of God. But especially when it comes to being broken over your own brokenness, over your own sin. So can I give you surprising realities today for the people of God, identity realities? And here they are. So if you're tuning in online today, can I give you the surprising kind of identity realities? If you look back through what Jesus said here, only beggars get heaven. And so until you're willing to come to the point to say, Jesus, I'm a beggar, I need you. You can't actually receive heaven. So I think there are people that walk around day by day and inside you've assured yourself maybe that, you know, I'm gonna go to heaven. It's all gonna work out in the end one day. But the truth is, you've never come to a place to say, Jesus, I know that I need you. My only way is you, Lord. And what Jesus said is you, you can't have the kingdom of heaven. You can't have his presence on the earth all the time with you. And you can't have heaven forever, forever unless you're willing to say, Lord, I beg you. That's a humbling reality in our lives. But then the second piece is this, only the broken get healing. As a pastor, I watch so many people in our community and their lives are in shambles and they're broken and they feel alone and they feel like they don't matter anymore. But the problem is pride will keep you from admitting that, Lord, I am broken. But here's what Jesus said. The very moment that you admit to me, I'm broken, Lord, then you can find comfort and healing. But you know what that specifically means, that broken? I'm broken over my sin and I'm broken over what sin's doing to my family and I'm broken over the sin reality I see in my city and in my county and in our schools and I see what sin is, Lord, and Lord, I'm broken over it. Until we get to a place where we're so broken over it, we can't really find healing. And so you know what it really all boils down to? It boils down to our pride. Will I surrender and say, Jesus, I'm a beggar, here I am. 
Well, I surrender and go, Lord, Lord, I'm broken over my sin. And sometimes that starts with just a conversation with God. God, will you, will you break my heart over the sin in my life? Will you break my heart over the brokenness of our city? And as you pray that prayer, I think many times the Holy Spirit will start to stir that work in you. And you may feel emotion. You may feel anger. You may be angry at yourself about what you've done to yourself. You may be angry about what sin and what people by sinners have done to your family or people in your life. But here's the thing. It comes back to this simple statement. I am. I am. I am what? There's a lot of things that identify us in this world. We've talked about that. But listen, can you really say that I am a person of God? I am the people of God. And if not, back to what Jesus said, it comes to the place of you saying, you know what, God, I'm asking you to save me. Or maybe coming back to brokenness after being away from God for a while. Just coming back, you know, and saying, Lord, I, Lord I'm broken over the pain that I've caused in my own life and others' life. So God, here I am. So if that's you, and you're ready to say, you know what? I am a child of God. I am a person of God. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. You can't say that until you come to Jesus as a beggar and broken and say, Lord, I need you. So will you just cry out to him today right where you're watching from and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to fill my life with your hope. I'm asking you to put your spirit inside of me. Say, Jesus, I'm asking you to break me over my sin. But then also this, say, Jesus, I'm asking you to bring healing to my life. And just tell him, Lord, my life, my life is yours. And if you surrender your life to him today, right where you are, whether you're in a car, in a house, wherever you're watching this from, listen, Jesus is there with you. He hears you. He accepts you. And you are his. And I want to celebrate with you. Will you send me a message? Let me know. Hey, today I gave my life to Jesus. I became a beggar and today, Joe, I, I got it. And we wanna celebrate with you. Or maybe you're at a place of brokenness in your life and you go, I just need somebody else to pray for me on this journey. Will you reach out and let us know? There's a people that think you matter right here at Riverbend and we wanna pray with you. We wanna celebrate what God's doing uh, in your life. Listen, I, pro, I hope and pray that even if today was the first time you've truly become a part of the people of God, that you will get active in the church. We'll save a seat right here at Riverbend for you. Or if you're not in our community, find a Bible, believe in Jesus, preach in church and get involved. But you just need to know this today. You're loved, you matter, your life matters, your story isn't over. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.